podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm delighted to be joined by Amy Canavan and Colin Watt for the Axon Bulletin. Welcome back to the show, guys. How are you? Doing all right, yeah. Uh, doing good. Good stuff. Uh, now, Amy, you're going to have to f- fill us in on developments with your other team, your other team being yeah. the team that you do media duties for, because you are on media duties for Bonnie Regrose, who had us all kind of excited in the fairy tale with the Scottish Cup last week. Talk us through that journey. Oh, it's been absolutely, it's been a mental week, it really has. Um, I think the most unsurprising thing is we're not surprised by that performance uh, anyone who has got any sort of association with the Lowland League knows the, knows the standards and I know last week we were touching on reconstruction and all of that so I take it like obviously with the Colts teams I see it from the Lowland League side point of view um, that if these if the Colts teams just leapfrogged right in and burst the pyramid system then it's not like an uproar would happen down, down here but um, yeah so it's been one of those ones we um, had a, it was a strange week we were supposed to play bonus in the first round on uh, Boxing Day and then that got postponed got postponed again and then it was supposed to be up at Spartans Park up at Ainsley Park in Edinburgh on New Year's Day and that was deemed unplayable because of the frost it got chucked back to New Dundas Park so we played it at home, beat Bonus 5-2 and obviously set up the, the tie with Dundee. Next game day or so we hear that it's going to be on the telly. So usually for Burnley games I do commentary um, with my partner Sean McGill who's absolutely outstanding in what he does as well. So we um, we were like, oh, we might get Liam McLeod and Billy Dodds out of a job. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> we were sort of thinking, oh, we could maybe get like a red button sort of thing up and then um, it could be an option, but that never happened. So I then we got to go up to Dens Park on Saturday. Um, first time we've been up there, never been up there with Celtic or anything like that. So um, I, 89, well, well, 93 minutes of nerves especially mm-hmm. after after that first penalty um, I was sort of thinking oh my god we could get Celtic in the next round all these things going through our heads and then it was just a sucker punch and then obviously extra time went ahead again thought we would do it and then boys were just dead on their feet so um spoke to Mark Weir the goalkeeper who's just been the most talked about player in Scotland all weekend which is quite nice it's not a Celtic player um, so I spoke to him on a podcast yesterday on Bonner Gross podcast and um, I speaking to Kira Magaki the striker of the day the Lewis Capaldi lookalike so I, the boys are all just still talking um, <laughs> I, I, I can't walk through the street without getting Capaldi mentioned so I fair play to them all but it's, um, it's a tough one now because we were, we were supposed to be Paul you'll know uh, Kelly Hart we were supposed to be playing them last night um, in the league but then obviously we were cancelled for three weeks, um, no doubt thanks to a little trip to Dubai. So um, exactly. it's sort of happened to mull over um, the, the Dundee result for a few weeks, but it's not a bad one to end it on all the attentions, rightly on Robbie Horn and his men. So uh, it's been a good weekend. No, it was brilliant. And I think what happens, um, obviously, we're aware a wee bit more of teams like Harrington and Bonnierig because of some of the people that are involved in the operation. So you do, you know, you wish them the best and you keep an eye on that. And when I 
tuned in. I didn't watch the full game, but when I tuned in and they were one nothing up in the dying minutes of the game, I just thought, wow, this is what the Scottish Cup's all about. But you bring up a great point, so let's start on that point before we go into all the other issues that we're going to be discussing. Um, when, like Colin and I or anybody else on the Celtic podcast, Amy, are talking about, yes, let's introduce the Celtic coach team in because it's good for Celtic, it's good for youth development, I've got to admit, I'm guilty of not really thinking about teams that are lower down in the pyramid. Um, I mean, when a team like Bonnie Rig Rose sees that Celtic and Rangers are trying and pushing for coach teams to go into the league, what is your take on it? Not on your nelly or get them in at the, on the bottom tier of the pyramid system? I mean, what would your thoughts be from that kind of level? Not your nelly. Um, it's one of those ones that um, if they are going to come in, they've got to go right to the very bottom. And I know there'll be a few Celtic fans that aren't happy with that, but it's one of those ones that the pyramid system's tough enough to get into as that is. Um, Brora won the Highland League last year and Kelly won uh, the Lowland League last year, but they got no chance at, at League Two, obviously, because of the coronavirus and whatever. So you're looking at sort of teams around the bottom of League Two, like your Breakins and whatnot. And well, there's Bontrig, so there's Bontrig man for man match in Dundee and that's a champion a top four championship side with a Premier League uh, a premiership budget sorry so I don't know it's one we're quite obviously we see it from the East of Scotland point of view so I think there was a bracket mentioned last week that it's like Celtic Rangers Hearts and Hibs the thing with Hearts and Hibs is they're very good at loaning their players out um, Bonnerig have had a uh, just before the January there but two players on loan from Libby and a player on loan from Hearts and I think that's the next step it needs to be instead of these coach teams just coming in there's there's not enough loaning I know a lot of people don't like loans out but it's getting experience um, yeah. there are great additions to the squad and it's a very competitive level the loan league it's, I, I personally think it's the most competitive league in the country um, I'm seeing it week in week out so I, I know I'm a bit biased there but there's big money down there you've got Barry Ferguson's managing Kelly Hearts um, there's big big money at East Kilbride East Kilbride's got uh, we played them a few weeks ago and there's Chris Erskine Paul Payton uh, Kyle Hutton for Rangers and Bonner mm. beat them with, and Bonner got one of the smallest budgets in the in the Lowland League sorry um, so it's one of those ones yeah I would prefer loaning out but I would certainly um, you can't have these the Colts teams just bursting right into League 2 but it's one of those ones that if, if the league wants it um, and the money's there so if, if SPFL teams vote for it then it's just going to be and there'll just be more uproar in the Highland League and the Lowland League I do have some sympathy, Colin, for that, but I think what Amy says is absolutely right. The It's all about money, isn't it? It'll come down to money, and having the presence of a, a Celtic side elsewhere will bring in attendances when people are allowed to go to the games, of course. It will bring uh, more of an attention to particular grounds who may um, you know, survive on very few fans normally. And I know that it's been trialled. Um, I say trialled. I know, you know back in the 60s, Jock Steen certainly was sending uh, reserve teams around the country playing second division uh, size back then and then showing to the, the powers that be that this is the impact that taking a team in green and white hoops has on an attendance. So it would be an argument I think that would rage on forever um, but then again when it comes to uh, the decision being made it will come down to money uh, would you agree with that Colin? Even though we are looking at something that's bigger than that the wider issue is youth development we want to develop players. Um, I mean, an alternative, I guess, would be to have some kind of tie-in with some of the clubs in the lower tiers of the pyramid, whereby they are able to, to bring in some players, perhaps, for a, a period of time. I've spoken to Scott uh, at Haddington, Scott Bonner, and he's talking yep. about, you know, when they bring in players from the senior clubs from higher leagues, they're blown away by the standard of the club you know, the actual stadiums that they're playing in, uh, but also the standard of the games that they're involved in as well, because they're used to playing at under 18, let's say, under 20 kind of levels. So what's your thoughts on it, Colin? So I'd ask Amy the question, so what is the sort of attendances that you would get at Bonnie Rig at the minute? Well, obviously there's no fans. Um, so um, yeah. New, yeah, yeah. New Dundas Park can hold... Put him on the spot. I think it's 2,600. I think it's something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and obviously, you just need to look over the ties last year. So, in the Scottish Cup, played Bucky Thistle again. That was on the telly, and you'd exceed in these numbers. Um, like many of these grounds, you can maybe sneak in, maybe where you shouldn't. Um, I've done that before. <laughs> so, it's one of those ones. Um, I think you've just threw something under the bus there. I have. I've thrown myself. <laughs> okay. I've had. To, I've had to admit that to the club. They were like, "Oh." 
you've um, you've been at these games. I don't remember giving you a ticket for that. I'm like, oh, oops, jump the fence. <laughs> um, but I so it's. Um, I, there's big numbers there, and there is, and because there is, it's Bonnery Grows or it's East Kilbride or it's the Spartans Uptown, they do have all the the, the, the little towns or little local clubs. So the, the support would be there, and if if um, if we were playing at Dundee, if the fans sort of playing at Dundee at the weekend there, and if fans were in, easily would have brought up two three thousand because it wouldn't just be mm-hmm. a regular attendance. It would obviously and you'd get the the add-ons as well and these the so-called fans and whatnot. But um, you would just go up for the occasion. So it is. It's an interesting one. The gate. The Seats is obviously a massive thing for for Lowland League clubs more than anything right now in the lower leagues. So um, I just I don't see I, I struggle to see why that uh, the pyramid system couldn't be a little bit easier to get into. Um, yeah. But it's just one of those it's one of those things that it's not just my opinion there. So <laughs> so then the question comes about Paul when we talk about putting these cult teams into League One and League Two, why not put them into the Lowland League and make them work their yeah. way up? Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like heads and hearts. Listen, I, I think it's a good suggestion. I really do. I, I think that um, what would also happen there is you would be, if you're looking at the financial element of that, Colin, there's there's a huge amount of Celtic fans who go to uh, the home games. It will be the same with Rangers, Hibs, and mm-hmm. I think it was Hearts, did you mention, Amy, yeah, yeah. who were who were thinking about this. Aberdeen, I would be surprised if they weren't looking at it as well. Uh, so they don't always go to the away games, but they might want to go and see Celtic in any case. So if you go to uh, even lower down... The, the pyramid, if we call the whole thing the pyramid, then yeah, you're going to be looking at uh, the money and the financial element of that filtering in at a lower level, which is great for the game. So um, I think Celtic might say that it's all about the standard of opposition, but then again, they might get a fright because you've just watched Bonnie Rig Rose um, take it to the wire against Dundee. So, you know, I don't think you can disrespect that level of football. And it would be inter- it certainly would be interesting, wouldn't it, um, if you were coming back after the, the lockdowns and there was... And I know they do it in Spain, they do it in other countries. It's been particularly successful there. I just think we're moving into... And we're going to be speaking about this. We're... we're it's all about planning now. We're planning for the future. Um, there's no way that we should try and put a stick in plaster on this season in January by throwing money that uh, probably would be an ill-advised move anyway at new signings or loan deals calling to try and salvage something from the campaign. And it's all about planning for next season. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that Celtic need to, they're going to have to on Saturday, of course, play a number of young players who wouldn't normally get a game. But, um, you know... It's all about maybe picking the two or three who have impressed over the, the two games and making sure that they're in and around the first-team squad for the rest of the season and trying to develop that. So it's all part of that same argument. You know, How do we develop these players who ordinarily would be nowhere near the first team? I mean, Stephen Welsh, I think, was a you know one of the better performance uh, performers rather mm-hmm. on Monday yeah. night, um, and I just think that previously he's coming at the side and then he's been dropped like you know um, for for months after that he was just dropped right out the squad and that's not developing a footballer what is he doing from the performances that he made against Rangers and AC Milan to now against Hibs he's doing nothing as a footballer well, that's, so, that's the thing for me I mean for putting these Colts sides into say for example the Lowland League um, and giving them the chance to play against as Amy quite rightly said top professionals that are now coming towards the end of their career. You're looking at guys like Paul Payton that you've mentioned before. You look at the Kelty Hearts side. They're full of um, sorry, they're full of players that have got lots of experience playing in the Championship and the Premier League. Um, and what I noticed from watching the Celtic game the other night was there's a boy there with a lot of talent in Cameron Harper but he's clearly not played a professional football game before. He's never been loaned out and you see it when he's one-on-one with the goalkeeper, instead of looking up, squaring it back, Tom Rodgick's got the tap in. His instinct is what is carried through youth football, is if you get the chance to shoot, shoot, because you never know when you're going to get it again. At least if he's got that experience of having been loaned out before, then um, whether it be against Lowland League sides or against teams in League 1 and League 2, it helps him develop as a player. So would it be safe to say, and by the way, I'm not um, going to criticise any of the young guys. I, I know that the Facebook page, which is monitored by Colin, uh, there was maybe some comments at, around the, the youth players. I'm not going to criticise any of the youth players that performed on Monday under the circumstances or otherwise. Uh, but do you think that comes down to then, Colin, the fact that 
you know, they're going to hit a point where there is no further development in playing against kids their own age. So when Cameron Harper gets that opportunity, and, you know, although he's at an angle, he's on one-on-one with a goalie. He's only the goalie to beat. And he kind of, you know, he just panics. He just does, he's got an instinct rather than having that game knowledge that, uh, you know, had he been introduced to the side earlier, um, then he would have had far more experience and he would have had far more um, knowledge of it, of the teammates around about him and the expectations of of what you would, uh, you know, uh, tend to expect from someone in that position. Now, I said that when Welsh was drafted in against Rangers, I remember the team being leaked the night before the game. Uh, and I thought there was no chance that Welsh would play. He'd only played one game previously, if I'm right, against Hamilton Ackies at uh, Celtic Park the previous year. Now, that young player should never be going into a Celtic Rangers game having played one game. You know, there are opportunities to give them game time if they're in the first team squad call. And I think it's been bad squad management because we've been so... We've had the blinkers on, you know, as a football club, we've had yeah. the blinkers on. And what's suffered, I think, is the, the youth element to that. So it was refreshing, even though the circumstances certainly were not, to see so much youth players playing on Monday night. I want to talk about that because I think originally I said there was nine, but uh, counting back, there was 10 players under the age of 22 that turned out for Celtic. Dembele at 17 being the youngest and Henderson 20, Turnbull 21, Harper 19, Ockelflex 18, Johnson 21, Frimpong 20, Welsh 20, Hazard 22 and Sorrow 22. Now, I'm not going to say that they're all going to have a fledgling career uh, or a, a long career at Celtic, um, but from that group of ten, you would expect, you know, two or three of them to stick, wouldn't you? Um, who was, who were you most impressed with, Colin? Let's take Sorrow and Turnbull and probably Frimpong away from that because we're quite familiar with those guys. Um, who were you most impressed with on Monday night? Uh, I, I was actually quite impressed with Stephen Welsh. Um, I thought he had a very good game at centre. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Um, he, he took a bit of time to break into the game. Um, he kind of took like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to get into the game. And then he started winning these headers. He started distributing the ball well. Um, at times when I looked at um, Shane Duffy's performance, he took a bit of time to get into it as well, but you're hoping that he's the sort of common influence alongside Stephen Welsh. Um, and I don't know, I think Welsh has certainly done enough for me um, to still be in and around the squad. I thought it was quite um, quite detrimental to him, the fact that guys like Mir Beaton were getting picked ahead of him when Stephen Welsh is a natural centre-half. Um, and near Beaton is obviously a midfielder that's dropping back. Looking at looking out um, for the rest of the team, I was I thought Henderson played well when he came on. 
Um, I'd quite like to have seen the likes of uh, Barry Coffey given the chance or Luca Connell coming off the bench. Um, Cameron Harper, I was expecting probably a bit more from. Um, I thought he would come on and do really well. Amy's laughing because we discussed this already. We thought that, the two, <laughs> that Cameron Harper would have a good game. Um, no, I said you would. You've rattled on about him yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's definitely done it at the youth team level, but yeah. I mean, it was a big. You're putting him in against a team that are arguably the third best side in Scotland. Mm-hmm. They will finish third this season. They were pretty much at full strength, um, and we put it aside, which is probably, if you'd said this, that team at the start of the season, you'd expect them to be going to play um, a team for a testimonial. It's not the team that you'd put out. Um, to play a, a very important league match. Um, one of the main things for me, though, was not having a proper striker up front. Um, I know Mikey Johnson and Cameron Harper sort of switched the positions round, but I thought that not having that striker up there meant that we couldn't hold the ball up, we couldn't connect and build the play together. Um, and at times, Johnson seemed a bit lightweight in that position. He was going down, winning a lot of free kicks, but he wasn't building up the play. And I don't know what you do for the weekend, because it's going to be the same scenario again. Do you recall Apalabi Dundee? Do you try and get a striker in before the weekend? What's the what's the scenario there? Now, Colin, a couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, yes, Amy rightly said that you'd been flying a flag for Cameron Harper for some time. Um, there's no way we can write him off after one game. I mean, I was impressed with his movement. I thought that, you know, he moved really well. He went down the flanks. He was trying to stretch the back line. So all this stuff off the off the ball, I thought he did that very, very well. You've got to give a, a player more than one game uh, before you yeah, can, you know, yeah. evaluate his performances. Uh, but the, the point you made there about a striker, I'd ask you the question, Colin, why don't we have a striker? I think it's bad planning. No, no, I think it's bad planning. Because why would, right, if you're talking about bubbles and then bubbles within bubbles, etc. Because there's always a risk. You're in Dubai. If us three went to Dubai, there's a good chance one of us would get the virus, right? There's a good chance of it. So what you do is us three are in a, a kind of micro bubble. You know, does that mean that it's all right? Just leave the strikers all to, um, you know, associate with each other. That's not a problem. If one of them gets it, they're all going to be missing the game. That's kind of obvious. That's bad planning, if you ask me. And it's not just a, an opportunity for me to have yet another dig at the club. I'm pretty sure there'll be a few more to come in the, the, the broadcast. Um, but I just think that's part of the issue. It's bad planning. I mean, even if you're going on a school trip, they would plan it better. I, I mean, obviously, this has now came down to who was um, sitting on whichever team bus because they do the two minibuses and the ones that were on one minibus have had to self-isolate and the ones that weren't, um, they were the ones that were able to play. So yeah, you're right. Why, when you've only got four strikers, would you put them all together? I mean, it's not as if the four of them's all going to play together. You should really separate it um, A team and B team without trying to tell the players that's what you're doing. Um, it is a real shame that we don't have an actual striker especially getting into this game against Livingston at the weekend when you're hoping that you're going to have the vast amount of possession. Okay, Livingston are on a really good run at the minute, um, but you're at home. They're the team that's probably going to sit in, ask you to break them down, and at the minute, what have you got to hold the ball up front? There's nothing there. No, I, I take your point, but I must admit, I, I don't think the club will be doing any business to try and bring anyone in, even on a an emergency loan. I just think we're in that uh, period now of the season where there's a real resignation. Um, wish there had been a few more resignations, but there's a real resignation to the fact that the season is over and there's no way they're going to try and bring someone in to, to play up front knowing that another four strikers are going to be available for the next game. So I, I think we'll just continue um, as we did on Monday night. Now, th- as disappointing as it was, I think a great deal of credit has to go to the youngsters. I mean, Stephen Wells spoke about the kind of panic um, of everything that was happening, the tests coming back, no one knew if they were going to be positive or not in terms of the initial tests and then the isolation, throwing that team together, including the management side. So I'm going to come to yourself. Amy, who were you most impressed with? You know, if there was two or three of the young guys that you think might stick this season, uh, who would it be? For me, it was Welsh as well. I know that's just a bit boring, but um, I'm not going to, uh, I think, I think Cameron Harper was expecting better from himself. I think he was getting too frustrated too quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, he just, I think you just wanted him to relax a little bit more. I think he felt like he was carrying pressure. I think that's a little bit worrying in itself as well because there should be no, there should be no pressure on his shoulders, no weight on his shoulders. Um, it should be the likes of Mikey Johnson and Cal McGregor who is carrying that weight. 
um, for him he should have just enjoyed it but he, he didn't look like he enjoyed it at all there was no I think he did sort of play with a little bit of panic a little bit of frustration so I hope um, hope he sticks in and around the team so he, he, he purely can get experience and the nerves can sort of settle Stephen Welsh I think just strolls right in and just looks just looks apart Um like say you'd sort of look at the back and think who's leading who between him and Duffy I thought Duffy played okay um, don't think it was one of his, his worst performances but I think that definitely helped that he had a, a commanding figure like Welsh beside him I thought Welsh was really vocal um, sort of kept Frimpong in check a little bit as well I think Frimpong was a little bit more defensive than he's ever been and I think that definitely helps having Welsh beside him I think he was sort of dictating for him to be back you saw him huffing to um, like chaperone basically Diego Laxal, and that's a player who's AC Milan World Cup finals or whatever God knows how um, but you look at um, <laughs> you look at Welsh there and I think he's, he looked almost the most commanding and the most comfortable out of that back four and he's arguably got the least experience so yeah for me it was definitely Stephen Welsh um, Yeah I noticed that I was really impressed with the fact that he was organising like so uh, the corner kicks etc Amy um, it's because we certainly do need to be organised when it comes to set pieces we all know the poor record that we've got you made a comment there, just a throwaway comment about Luxol, but I think it was a very good one because what I'd like to ask, uh, I'll come to yourself first of all, Colin, about Luxol, is about the regression. I think um, what we had in the first... And by the way, I do realise that, you know, it's... What I would say is it's difficult if you go into a situation to be the star man every week if there's some kind of malaise within the team. But Luxol seemed to perform well during the... You know, that period we were going through the two wins in 12. And now, you know, six games before the, the Rangers match. And this is where he seems to have lost his form, Colin. What would be your, your kind of take on that? Is he, as Frank McIverney, um said in the press over the last few days, a better defender than Taylor? I know um, Taylor divides opinion on the Axom kind of panel. What's your thoughts on like, so do we invest in a player like that at the end of the season would be another question that I would ask you. I just feel that there seems to be... Um, a regression in his performances since he joined the club? I think I said it last week. When he came into the team, he started to play the way that he knew how to play football. It was in his mindset that he um, would drive the ball forward. He would... Um, it was like... His first thought was to get forward. He was kind of throwing himself into tackles. He was... Um, and he had a great game in the Europa League. But when he sort of fitted into the culture that Celtic play... Um, and he started to play the same sort of game plan that Celtic play. It's too slow for him. Like when you look at Celtic's build up, it was so slow. It was pass, pass, pass. Whereas he's so um, he's just built that mindset where he has to get forward at the first opportunity that he gets to put the ball over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he's on the back foot, I don't think he is as good a defender as Greg Taylor. I think if you've got to. Um, pick one of the two of them to play as a, a left back and not a left wing back, then Greg Taylor's your option. I don't think Greg Taylor would have given away the foul that led to the Hibs goal. Um, and by the way, if that was like Ryan Christie or someone like that that gave away that foul, I'd be screaming as much as what I did when Lick Salt gave it away. That was just terrible game management. You've got to learn to see out games. And that's another one that we've lost because of that. Or well, we've lost the points because of that. There was also the, the, the point raised, Amy, of the lack of strikers, and it was a concern that Colin raised earlier on. I was more concerned with the lack of width, because we get up again up to that last third, and then we hit a brick wall, and we're relying on long-range efforts. Uh, we've seen a few getting uh, drilled in from Sorrow and Turnbull, for example. Turnbull scored a superb goal uh, from the free kick. I was far more concerned with the lack of width. Would you not be maybe looking at some of these players um, to give us a wee bit of width? I mean, Dembele can play wide. Luke O'Connell, we've not really seen much of him, Colin, but I can understand why people are, are calling for him to come in. Can we not maybe try and utilise these players out wide? And also, uh, on that on that note, I felt Mikey Johnson did spend far too much time on the deck. He was bringing back to mind the, the issues I had with Lewis Morgan because that's all he ever seemed to do is uh, get knocked off the ball. Uh, obviously, there's been a long time of recuperation for Mikey Johnson. Is he up to it physically? I don't know. It's one of those ones, like you say, I think he's, he needs to be careful. He will create a reputation for himself. Um, Spent like he spent a lot of time on the deck on on Monday night. Again, I don't know if he felt he was carrying um, a, a fair bit of weight there uh, on his shoulders. Um, that he was one of the more experienced on the side, but it's just I don't know. I think he was very narrow. Um, going back to your point about width, 
it's extremely worrying and it's time and time again though it just shows you i know we're talking about the different side but just how much we are missing james forrest i think it's crazy how little's been mentioned how much we're actually missing him um amongst fans Lacks out for me is one of those ones that I know people talk about like his his his, um, his attacking sense. I feel when he goes attacking, he's so narrow. You're talking about with there, he's always always in the box. I think um, I can't. I think it was maybe Mike Johnson was on the wing and he was looking for an overlapping run. And you look at Diego Lacks out and he's hovering over the penalty spot. And then he trudges back as well. So there is a lack of width because there's just nobody offering overlapping runs. And that's on both wings. Jeremy Frimpong can tank it down to the byline, but he is looking for a James Forrest or he's looking for somebody, sometimes even a Ryan Christie. Um, and there was just nobody there at all on Monday. There was so much space. Um, so, yeah, I felt both Laxell and Johnson were cutting in too quick. I quite like the diamond in midfield. It definitely helps for Sorrow and Turnbull, but it does obviously sacrifice our width. Um, so it's going to be interesting when James Forrest does come back into the fold, whenever that may be. Um, and as much as the diamond is beneficial, we definitely need to, I don't know if you're looking for then your two top strikers, if it's Griffiths and Edward up top, obviously they are a bit quicker and a bit better going out to the wings and that comes with experience. But there definitely does need to be something there because the width is, um, it is a major issue, you're right. You know, I'm not going to say I told you so or anything, but uh, early early in the season I was saying to Colin that we needed a striker coach. And the, the big thing with that is uh, people come back, what's the coaches doing? Because they're meant to coach your defenders, your strikers, your midfielders, and I get all that. But I just felt that um, from top to bottom, Celtic certainly do not produce strikers. We don't produce goal-scoring strikers. And, uh, I, you know, I, put, I threw it out there. Who is um, the last goal-scoring Celtic striker prolific uh, and I think there was a few thrown in people like Craig Beattie I wouldn't say he was prolific or over a period of time Sean Maloney started off in that position but he certainly didn't play m- many of his games as an out-and-out striker and a goal-scorer James Forrest came in scored a lot of goals but he's not a striker he's not a, a centre-forward and I think the last player that we produced was Jerry Craney before your time, Amy, Jerry Craney uh, in the 90s was probably the last goal-scoring striker that Celtic produced. And the one before that was Charlie Nicholas and, you know, he left in 1983. So the point was all about, going back to the, the very first point we made on this show, all about the youth kind of aspect of Celtic and developing players. But at the same time, you know, seasoned pros can be coached and they can be taught. And, you know, I just feel that we're very one-dimensional if Edward and uh, Griffiths are not in the team in terms of stretching and by the way I think a lot of what Edward do, does is, is kind of narrow and, and straight down the middle mm-hmm. but you know if you had someone coming in because I'm not for a moment saying he should be coming back in but Larson was the name I mentioned Colin and people scoffed at that you know you've got to be um, you've got to have the talent before you have the affiliation to the club and I understand all of that but that was just an example that I gave of someone that surely could teach players like Clamala, players like even a Yeti, as I say, a seasoned pro, um, a way to play in a system that suits the club. Because at the moment, I don't think we've got that adaptability. And that showed on Monday night, even though we had a lot of uh, kind of strikers out. The way that we failed to stretch that back line, and that's where I would give Cameron Harper a bit of credit. I know he's, he's had a bit of stick, but I thought that he stretched the back line better than anybody else on the night. Um, we're going to get back to the, the coaching staff and all that, because obviously the, the headline today is the time is now to plan for next season. We alluded to that yesterday. Um, the, the question, I guess, would be uh, what order does that happen in? And I'm, I'm now of the view that the reason we're not replacing the manager and coach is because there are other moves afoot higher up the tree and whoever's coming in will want to be part of the recruitment process. But it's interesting that we've had uh, what I would call the banner and Pat Bonner, the banner and the Bonner, both uh, coming out to say that uh, the club should, in Bonner's um, assertion, apologise to the fan base and the banner saying you can't hide forever. We've received absolutely nothing from the club in terms of engagement. Uh, Jimbo 2167 is asking club statement today even if it is a statement you know, it's it's a one-way piece of... Um, it's not even engagement. It's a one-way piece of uh, communication. Colin, where do we stand with this? Um, what do you think, if any, the plans are for the board at this moment in time to try and repair the damage, not only with the fans, but, you know, I, I just think that there's a lot in Scottish football now looking at Celtic and, you know, with a bit of disdain. I honestly think Celtic would need someone like Sachi and Sachi to come up with a PR campaign to get um, the season ticket uh, money in next season 
the way they've treated Celtic fans this year has been absolutely appalling. I mean, I saw yesterday basically John Paul Taylor was coming out saying that the review is still to take place in January. He expects a statement to be made on it. I wonder if that's uh, potentially what um, the the listener was saying there. If will we see a statement on that? I don't think so. I mean, what has given anybody the idea that that will happen? I mean, there's been nothing that's came out from the club this year that suggests that they're actually going to take on board the fans' views. The last time that um, Peter Lawwell came out with a statement, um, and it was to the the Celtic uh, Supporters Association, he says, oh yeah, we spent £30 million in the summer. That's not something to be proud of, because when you look on the park, you're 21 points behind Rangers. So what's to be proud of spending £30 million? You could spend £100 million and be in the same position. You've wasted that money. So for Celtic to come out and try and get the fans back on board, it's going to be one momentous effort. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, there are still some out there. There's a hardcore who disagree with us about that and how dare you criticise a club. But um, I can tell you that from the vast majority of people that we are speaking to, a lot of them are on the fence as to whether or not they're going to renew their tickets, uh, their season tickets. And many of them, Colin, um, have said they're not. They're simply not going to do it until there's change at the club. Now, I'm going to bring in Patrick. Patrick Murphy comments uh, via YouTube. If you are watching the show on YouTube, please subscribe because we are producing daily content free of charge. Now, Patrick takes us on to the next uh, section of this debate. We will come back to Peter Lowell and co uh, in dispatches, I'm sure. The next manager will be a huge indication of where Celtic is going as a club. If it's Ross or Kennedy, it's clear there's no ambition. If it's someone like Howard Ranick, there may be hope. Now, it is, it is the, the key indicator of the level of ambition that um, these guys in charge of Celtic have got. Um, and that will be shown with their next big move. And the next big move for me is the, the manager's chair. Now, as I've said before, Amy, I do think that uh, there will be moves afoot. Um, you know, in the boardroom at Celtic, the CEO has been in position now. He's in his 18th year. Um, there's a feeling that he does a lot of things right in terms of the financial element of the club, but um, his, you know, infiltration into the football side of it um, has been his undoing because, you know, there's a legacy when you leave a club and you wonder to yourself, what will Peter Lowell's legacy be? Uh, will it be he was the man to blame for 10 in a row? I don't know. He, he certainly won't think so. Um, he'll uh, think that he's run a great business for 18 years or however long he's run it for and kept them afloat and done all this and done all that. And yeah, financially, like you say, he has done well. We are a well-run business and that's what it is. Corporation, whatever you want to call it. Um, is, he, is he the man that chucked 10? Or do you, I, I don't, there's, there's, a, there's a myriad of folk who you could say you chucked 10. Um Cuddy's legacy. I just don't see him going. I don't see him going anytime soon. I really don't. I just think he's just going to stick around forever. Um, he'll just be somewhere. So I think from my point of view, yeah, he is the man that blew the 10. But then in the, in the, in the same sentence, where you've got to consider, yeah, well, he gave Lennon pretty much all he wanted this year. Right, he never got Fraser Foster and maybe never got Ivan Tony, but he still got a strike at the same price. He still brought in a five million pound goalkeeper. So Lawwell himself would be sitting, yeah, well, I've done my part. It's down to you and your staff. So I don't know, it's going to be interesting who gets the label of who shot the ten, but there's um there's definitely a few who could who could wander around with that tagline. You're right, and I think there is kind of two parties if you want to split the candidates, and it, we are we are making the candidates up. We don't know who the the club would like. We don't know who would be interested. But there there does seem to be a lot of names coming up time and time again. Eddie Howe, Ralph Ranick, uh, two names that continually come up. On the flip side, John Kennedy, Jack Ross, and a few others. Colin, if history tells us anything. Um, regarding the last two managerial appointments we will appoint someone who's unemployed to prevent the, the payment of compensation. Eddie Howe's unemployed as is Ralph Ranick. Uh, are we going to go down that route or are we going to play a wee bit more safe? And I say safe in terms of the way that 
that uh, the club may operate. I don't think it's safe long term when it comes to the cheap option. Someone made a great point. I seen it on social media just yesterday. This is how much the safe options actually cost us. You know, the cheap option. It's cost us a lot of money when you look at the failure to, you know, progress in Europe, the failure to um, recruit properly. So it actually ends up costing you a lot more and it's in a false economy. How do you see the board going on this one? If indeed as Amy suggests and by the way I think you're probably right um, although I am thinking it, it would explain why we're not making moves that Peter Lowell will be there for next season where are we going to go are we going down the Eddie Howe stroke uh, Ralph Ranick route and by the way I think they're completely different propositions but what I'm talking about is unemployed managers or will we try and get someone like Jack Ross or indeed promote from within I mean uh, what I can't wait for is if we don't Sign Jack Ross. I can't wait to see Kevin Graham's um, sixty-minute rant they will have because if uh, if there was a signing to be made, Kevin Graham would want Jack Ross in as the manager. Um, so that would be a great view. Make sure you subscribe for that one. But no, I think uh, I think Eddie Howe is probably the option I would go for um, for a, a number of reasons. He has done really well at Bournemouth on a very limited budget, um, limited in terms of the English football game. We know there's a lot, a lot of money down there and Bournemouth have spent a lot of money. They've spent like 20, 30 million on players. But in English football, that's next to nothing. That's the kind of difference in levels. Um, people say, what had Brendan Rodgers done before he took over at Celtic? Well, he had the Liverpool job. He took Swansea up to the Premier League. And the fact that Eddie Howe managed to keep Bournemouth in the Premier League on the budget that they had compared to everyone around them for me I think is uh, one of the reasons I'd go for him he's also managed to develop players something which I don't think that Neil Lennon has done in his time at Celtic since he's came back I think he did well the first time round um, but the sec- this time round he's not brought anybody through he's not made anybody better all we keep going on about is how players have regressed there's not been one player that's came through and you says, well since Lennon came in he's been outstanding he's been the guy that's really um, took it forward. When I look at the, the games from last season and compare them to the games of this season, um, as much as there's no fans there, um, the, the football's just different. It's so much different. You see, and last season, we're passing the ball. It was one touch, two touch. We're, we're playing so much quicker. This season just feels so slow. It's as if we're trudging towards the end of the season. And I don't know if that's because of comments that have came out um, Jordan Devlin released a fantastic thing for the Athletics saying that half the squad don't realise um, why the fans are so angry and upset with performances this season and the other half of the team really think that everything's regressed this season since Lennon's kind of had full control so it's clear behind the scenes that we do need to make a change um, and if you ask me to put someone forward for the job I would pick Eddie Howe just a couple of things uh, on that point or those points you were making, Colin. Full control, surely Lenny had full control last season. I think there was still that kick-on effect. Um, there was still the players that had the um, the kind of good feeling from the way that Rodgers has come in. For, for how long had Neil Lennon said when he was a temporary manager, all oh, right, when I get full control, we'll play my style of football. Even at the start of last season, we weren't playing the Neil Lennon or the Lenny ball, as people like to call it. It was still the, the Brendan Rodgers stuff. As the season started to go on, as we got into December, it, it became poorer. And then it took for a, a change in the formation. It took for us to go to the two up front for the, the season to be turned round. If you remember back to Christmas last year, there was only a couple of points in it at the top of the table. It was only really that period between January and March where we kicked on. Um, and that was never a position that we really found ourselves in under Brendan Rodgers so you can see the decline since Rodgers left The only other thing I was going to ask you in relation to who has come on who has improved stroke developed would you say Frimpong under Neil Lennon You've got to look at the, the, the whole picture, I guess. And last season, although some of it filtered into this season, was a treble winning campaign under Neil Lennon. Frimpong comes through and impresses. I think this season's been a wee bit patchier for Frimpong. He plays if he's fit. He's been a success under Lenny. Arguably, yes. But we've all said that Frimpong needs to work on that final ball. How long is it going to take for someone like Frimpong to be coached into putting a final ball over? I mean, you saw the likes of um, James Forrest. 
James Forrest under Brendan Rodgers developed his game um, and started scoring goals. He had a goal stage game, he had 20 assists a season. Um, and the way that we're playing at the minute, having Frimpong as that right wing back, that's the sort of things that you're expecting to see from him as well. Maybe not to the same levels, but you're expecting him to come up with a couple of assists. You're expecting him to work on his shooting. Um, and he's just not done that. If it's taken, what, eight, what, 12 months, 18 months now that he's been in the first team and he still can't put a ball over, that suggests to me that they're not working hard enough on his progression. Well, it's one of the things that can be coached. As I said before, he's only 20. Um, he's played a lot of games for Celtic now. Uh, you would think that that's maybe a part of his game that they would have ironed out before now. Uh, someone said earlier on the show a week or two ago that that is going to make or break whether or not Frimpong takes that step up to the next level. You know, from being a a, a performer or sometimes star performer for Celtic in the Scottish League and taking it to a higher kind of level will be that final ball. You add that to his game, and he's a completely different player. He's a more all-rounded uh, footballer. Um, we're going to jump back and forward depending on how some of the comments come in we're talking about uh, planning for next season will the board be the same uh, well Boxer Toy reckons this board will forever be remembered for this season's arrogance and neglect to the supporters I, th- I fear that that is the case because it's one of these things that we all understand all the mitigating circumstances around what happened this season some of the things we couldn't control many of them we could but it was all about Amy uh, reacting to that and taking the necessary risk and the necessary risk would have been I guess making a change now Colin Watt wanted it to be done after the Ferenc Farros game um, Anthony from Four Tims who was on as a guest previous to that wanted the change made after the Rangers game I came a wee bit later to the party and I felt that the Aberdeen game at Patoji was the final straw for me um, will their legacy be uh, obviously this season rather than previous seasons of success and really should the, the big question mark go around their decision making and their ability to take measured risks let's say October, November time when a change could have been made at that point to save the season yeah absolutely I think the biggest thing this season that's been determined is just attitude I think the attitude the whole time is just everything with statements with decisions with lack of decision making there's just everything has came back to an absolutely stinking attitude um, there's there's just been there's such a disconnect um, I don't know I was trying to write a piece yesterday and it just there was just anger there was just there was just not there was just anger because you're looking at all these things and you're thinking right I was trying to I, um, I was I was reading another piece and it was they were linking it back to, to Tommy Burns and he's like they're there and they're always there and God bless every one of them um, you know, many many people Lennon in the same bracket as that is that he had that connection with the fans and obviously bringing Tommy Burns into it is a, is a big claim um, but it's that sort of thing like would you really see that happen now there's such a deep disconnect with the fans now this is from a, a man who is a fan who is in his 20 was it 20 years association with the club Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil Lennon so it's one of those ones how could he get it so wrong in his attitude so you can blame Lowell's attitude and, and all, all of those in the hierarchy but they just do care about the money that is plain and simple that's all that is and it's a business and they just want it run and like you say he'll just be happy that he's kept us afloat during coronavirus well and truly afloat and doing well it is the attitude this season everything's just wrong it's, it's the statements it's the whole Dubai debacle um, it's absolutely everything it's just been a stinking attitude um, it's one of those that you just if it was, if the shoe was on another foot, you'd be laughing. If it was, if it was any other club in the country, you would be laughing. And you've, you've, you've got to take it on. Not, on, you not even have to take it on the chin, but you just got to accept that this is a laughing stock, and that is the state of Celtic right now. Um, but like I say, I will. The, I think the, the comment was about the arrogance and the neglect the season towards the fans. I think it's just the whole attitude of the club and the way that. It, like you say the PR God knows how they're going to try and sell season tickets in the PR because that whole department is just a farce but yeah I'd pin it all back to attitude that's what I would do you know I've got to say a- just sorry sorry Paul just on that and I think it's already been said on here the other day Andy Walker on Monday night was absolutely spot on everything that he said before the game you could see the passion coming from him it's something we've not seen from him in a long time um, he was speaking like a proper Celtic fan and I know you've had the chance to interview him before and it's the thing that you got out of him was that he is a passionate Celtic fan but it finally came across and he was saying everything that um, Celtic fans had been trying to say they've been saying on this podcast they've been saying on social media and I don't know what it's actually going to take for the board to listen to it 
if Andy Walker saying it on Sky Sports isn't going to turn things around, if you saying it on STV News isn't going to turn it around, it just shows they're putting their hands in their ears and they're just going, nah, 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 never happened. Well, I think going back to a point Amy made, the point of the ceiling caving in, Colin, will be around season ticket re- renewals and I, you know I'm keeping that in the back of my mind as being a positive in many respects to force them into making a bold decision uh, because if for example they're looking at the season ticket uh, renewals and they're coming in and they're, drip, they're dripping in they're plodding on to use Gavin uh, Strachan's description of the rest of this season with the figures then that will make a change happen because as Amy said all they're interested in is a balance sheet and therefore if the 54 becomes 34 let's say um, then that's a massive massive issue for the club um, as a business so I think that point will be when the bold move is made Um, plenty of Celtic fans are saying that that's going to be the case but until they actually see it in black and white and it's tangible the club may continue to sleepwalk as they have been doing Um, now a few other names coming in Matty Lad Wayne Rooney touted for a job in Celtic News now I think that story came from Jason Cundy who if he told me it was Wednesday today I would have to check the calendar so no I don't don't think that Wayne Rooney and people have been citing the Steven Gerrard example of uh, a rookie manager coming in he's obviously got a wee bit of experience at Derby I do like the, the fact that he's a Celtic uh, minded guy um, I've seen his name I've seen Rio Ferdinand's name no we're, we're a million miles away from that at the moment we need um, not just a manager to come in who is just going to fit the mould that, that Peter Lowell wants something to fit we, I think we need a manager to, to have more control um, and that, that's my big concern when you're looking at the name Ralph Ranyak and you look at what he's achieved and you listen to him speaking about the game um, then you think well that that does um, encompass a whole change of culture within the football club whereby certain people will have less control and that might not sit well with the likes of Peter Lowell because Ralph Ranyak uh, will want control over all football matters at, as far as possible I mean obviously there is always collaboration within a football club you can't have free reign you can't have a autonomy on everything but he would certainly want more control than what Neil Lennon has at this moment in time so I tend to agree with Declan O'Kane who reckons that Wayne Rooney is too much of a gamble now let's go back to the banner because someone did say here it may have been in the screen above that the banner um, may be perceived by the media as a threatening term the banner actually said you can't hide forever I don't think that was threatening I just think it's talking about how anonymous uh, the board have been and how lacking in engagement not only with the fans but the press are saying the exact same um, my chums in the press Colin are saying exactly the same um, in relation to Celtic's inability to to actually engage with them um, you know, so yeah, that banner. I I just feel it's um, it's summing up the frustrations of a great deal of Celtic supporters. So if we're talking about the structure, we're talking about going for someone like Ralph Ranick because I, I I must admit that's a name that would I have considered him before uh, reading through the comments on Axholm's bulletin perhaps I wouldn't but that's the whole beauty of allowing people to get involved in here because you know they do throw in some names and they, they give you links to YouTube videos watching his interviews and his philosophy of the game and what you're getting with him is someone who actually has a plan you know he's got a a medium-term plan. He would certainly have a five-year plan on the football side of it. Um, but the big question would be the people in charge, the people with control, Colin, would they be able to um, allow themselves to ease that control, to allow someone with more authority to come in? I don't think under the current structure it would. I mean, how many times have we saw over the last sort of 10, 15 years it's been a case of... Um, we were going to try and bring this person in, but it was stopped by our chief executive. I mentioned it on the show last week um, when we tried to get the Piscini deal done and he had to turn around and head back after Rogers kind of put off um, going on his holiday so that he could get that deal over the line. We saw it where Roy Keane refused to take the job because he was told who his number two was going to be. You've saw it with Neil Lennon. Neil Lennon has not brought in who he would want as a, a backroom team He's been forced to make a partnership up with John Kennedy and then been given Gavin Strachan. 
So it's not as though there's a full control given to um, the manager who should be left to make all the footballing decisions. Um, and I think that will only change if you do change who is the chief executive. Because as long as Peter Lawwell is in there, he's still going to want to have a say on transfers. He's still going to want to have a say on who is the coaches at Celtic. And if that keeps going on, you're not going to attract the right names. For me, it's one of the reasons that Brendan Rodgers took the Leicester job when he did. I absolutely agree with that and um, that's why we talk about a structural change and yesterday trying to be as fair as possible uh, to the power brokers but I do feel that we're at um, a point now where the confidence levels among Celtic fans if you were ever able to do a poll on that um, would be grim reading for those in charge and then people are saying well you know what we've been saying this for a while that, you know there is 12 guys and uh, talking about uh, the way that um, you know the five way agreement was denied by Peter Lowell well, Although there is a document to suggest that Celtic had sight of it. And it's just that the success has been masking all of these deficiencies for for some time. And I think we're all guilty of that as football fans. Amy, you're winning quadruple trebles. And I think that that probably didn't do the rest 12 guys any favours. Because, you know, if we were going through a period of uh, flux, for example, when they were really pushing for that, I think they might have got much more of a support. Um, will they pull a rabbit out the hat? Wow, no idea. Um, if, <laughs> nothing, nothing would surprise me um, if they do. Wow, um, I don't. I really have no idea. Uh, I think it's, it's sort of like watching. I don't know. It's like a. I don't know. You can't get to the cinema in the now, eh? so you just watch Celtic Football Club because nobody could write this. Like Tarantino, nobody could write a script like this. Um, I have no idea what the next twist is going to be. Um, I think in sort of skipping away, but as we said, I know you think maybe Lowell won't be there next season. I really wouldn't be surprised if he is. Like it's one of these ones I wouldn't even right now I probably wouldn't be surprised if Lennon was still there the next season. It's just everything right now. There's just so many it's just you just sort of shrug now. There's just there's no there's no shock, there's no surprise. Um and I think the biggest thing coming in all these ones is that why would any why would anybody want the Celtic job? There is nothing to be, and I, I mentioned it last week, and I think I got a, a few bits like, like already going. Oh, there's there's still this, the league's still on, or whatever. Why would you want to come to Celtic right now? Why would anybody want? Like we mentioned in Eddie Howe, Rafa Benitez, and all of that. But what's what's so attractive? I think um, the question's been asked actually in relation to Eddie Howe um, and someone who worked with him at Bournemouth has been quoted as saying that uh, it's still a proposition, you know, with the fan base. Uh, should they all be there with the European football, with the ability also to turn the thing, the thing around. I mean, we were winning, which, as I say, masked a lot of problems, but to turn the whole operation around, the football side of it, uh, that kind of challenge might appeal to some of the guys out of work. Why would you leave a big job to come to what is still a big job? Yeah, take your point. Why would you if you think at the moment this club looks like a bit of a basket case? And, and let's be honest, it does uh, from the outside looking in, uh, which we all are. No one is on the inside. And that's the problem. We're all on the outside. We're getting kept here by Harris Fenson. So from the outside looking in, who would want uh, a job like Celtic? I think it would be a challenge for someone like Eddie Howe, someone like Ralph Ranick to come in, put their stamp on um, and turn it round. I mean, I, I asked the question before, there's been three nine in a rows achieved in Scottish football. And in between those three, what was the longest period of domestic domination in terms of league title wins? And it's three. And I asked the question, is this the pendulum swinging over Ibrox way for another three years? Because you would hope not. I mean, it's hard at the moment, actually. It would be hard uh, for you to predict that because I, I guess that there are going to be plenty of changes um, at Rangers also. You know, if you come up here with the domination that Celtic have had and you break that domination, which Rangers are in the process of doing, your stock levels are through the roof. Also, allied to that, the European performances. So yeah, there will be changes on that uh, side of the city. And But I think it all depends on what we do. I really do think it all depends on what Celtic do. The squad we had was supplemented by another six players, three of whom will still be here because they're still our players. Um, did we lose anyone that uh, weakened the squad? Amy, you've already mentioned Foster. Yeah, I think everybody will agree with that. But, 
you know, we kept all the other players, so we do have a strong squad. And that was partly the reason why we could still put out a decent enough team on Monday night was because of the depth of the squad, which I don't think has been utilised as well as it should have been. So I still think it's a proposition that there are plenty of managers out there um, would be interested in the Celtic job. But I do think that uh, those in charge will be looking to go for an unemployed manager, of which there are loads. There are plenty of unemployed managers out there who would be interested in coming to speak to Celtic. It's not as though it's a low-paid job, is it? You know, Neil Lennon gets a handsome wage. If you want to compare um, his annual salary to the annual salaries in Serie A, for example, Neil, Neil Lennon is paid handsomely. Um, now, we are going into a game this weekend. Let's talk about football for a bit. Uh, we're going into another game. We're going to have access to the same players. Um, I'm not aware of any additional injuries um, presently. So, Colin, talk to me about uh, your preview of Livingston. Um, do you think we will stick to as close as possible the starting lineup that um, we've seen against Hibs? I think there might be a couple of changes. Obviously, we've saw um, Scott Robertson's coming back from Gillingham. He played really well um, down there for the first half of the season. I think he impressed quite a few people um, on the live games for the Carabao Cup. Um, and he's played quite well. He's probably going to come in. I think he's probably going to come onto the bench and you'll see either Barry Coffey or Luca Connell drop out for him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Karamoko Dembele getting a start. Um, I think you are right, we do lack the width out there um, and we can't really play this formation uh, when we've not got two strikers, so we are going to have to change up the formation, yes it worked really well for um, Sorrow and Turnbull and they've come in and they've been um, really impressive in that sense, but when you've not got the two strikers you've got to change and uh, work with the, the squad that you've got are we going to have a striker in before Saturday? I don't think we will. So what happens? Do you go with um, Mikey Johnson up front again? I don't think he can hold the ball up. Who else have you got? Cameron Harper. Again, he looked better on the wing than what he did coming through the middle. Armstrong Flex came off the bench. Um, when he's been playing for the reserve side, he's been playing as the striker. The, the reserve side actually play a different formation to the first team. They go with a 4-3-3. Um, and you've got Dembele, Harper and Okoflex normally um, and they sort of change around where they play it's, it's quite a fluid system when they come into the first team we're obviously playing with two up front we've not got that when it's one up front they've also not got that option so what happens do you bring in Afalabi back from Dundee I don't think he's even ready to start against Livingston so you are going to have to change the system up I think we'll probably play with a 4-5-1 um, and if that's the case, Robertson could probably come back into the side. Who would I start up front? I would probably give Mikey Johnson another chance. Uh, and Livingston are on a good run of form, Colin. Do you think Celtic can get back to winning ways after two games without a win? Do you know what? If it wasn't for game management, um, Celtic would have beat the third best team in Scotland on Monday night um, with a full strength team. Uh, they would have beat Hibs. But for the game management, we conceded in the last couple of minutes. Livingston are on a fantastic run of form. Um, they'll probably come in and set up to defend and we'll have to break them down. With the team that we've got, I'm not sure how well we'll be able to do that. Um, but it's up for the boys now to come in and stake their claim and uh, make that jersey their own. You saw what happened when uh, Ismail Asoro and David Turnbull came in. Now they're undroppable from that side. It's up to these guys who are sitting around the, fr the kind of fringe of the squad to come in and say, well... You missed your chance. I took it. I scored a goal. Come and take that jersey off me. And Amy, what's your thoughts about Saturday? We're coming up against a team that um, has plenty of confidence and momentum. And obviously we, at the moment, we've got something to prove. The, the young kids that have come in, I call them kids because they're kids to me, that are coming into this team. Um, we'll get another bite of the cherry. So how do you see Saturday going against Livy? I don't know, it's a really tough one. Probably the last side you'd want to be facing um, with such a depleted squad. They are, they're on a great run. Um, I think as Colin said, I don't see there being too many changes from Monday. I think continuity is important. Um, it's not like these guys are going to be in the, in the team for the for the for coming weeks, like you say, unless they make a big impact like, like Sorrow or Thumbel. I think what Colin said there is a bit interesting that obviously the reserves play a different system to us. I don't know, do you take the risk and, and, and play 
and play to their strengths, as in that you maybe try the three of them up top. I know then you're probably dropping Mikey Johnston, but does does more confidence come from Harper if he's got Oko Flights and Dembele in the system that he's used to playing? That's again, that's a massive risk, obviously, because um, then you're going, you're sort of mucking about with the guys behind you, the experienced guys in Sorrow and Turnbull, and you don't obviously know how that fits them in. But a four-three-three could work. You could, you could have McGregor, Turnbull, and Sorrow behind them. I understand that's obviously dropping Johnston. You want Johnston to get game time. It's all off butts and maybes, but. Um, that's interesting for calling that obviously that is what the, the normal front three is at the reserves um, I don't know I really like Scott Robertson I'm quite excited to see him come back I don't know how much he'll feature this season but um, I obviously I said that last week as well this has to be like a, a building period now so I would like to see him in the setup. I think he's got um, he's got a great stature about him I think it was it was it the Cluj game he played was it the Dead Rubber Cluj game um, mm-hmm. in Europe and I thought it was really really impressive mm-hmm. but um yeah, it's just like you say, it's just going to be one. Hopefully, Stephen Mills was a good game. But um, yeah, one's obviously vital. But I quite, quite like the idea of maybe playing that front three um, of what you'd see at the reserves. I think that's quite exciting. Well, there we go. Um, can Gavin Strachan extend his managerial reign for two games with, uh, <laughs> without, without defeat? Who knows? Uh, we will be here every day leading up to that and we'll be covering the game as well. Uh, thanks everybody for the comments coming through. Uh, we obviously are keeping a close eye on any infiltrators so that everyone can enjoy the chat uh, in the chat room as well as on the broadcast itself. All that's left for me to say, Amy Canavan and Colin Watt, thank you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.